Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. I'm going to get that gun of mine, and I'm going to change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. Some people call me a freak. I hate that word. I don't believe in it. Better yet, I don't believe in labels. You know, I think you're the only girl in the world that can stand on a stage with a spotlight in her eye and still see a diamond inside a man's pocket. Because I'm up at five every morning working my ass off. Does someone want to just tell me to my face you're never going to give me the scores I deserve? And welcome to episode four of Girls on Film, the movie review show from a female perspective. I'm your host, Anna Smith, and today I have an exclusive for you. Female critics have voted for the best films of 2018 in a poll run by the Bechdel Test Fest, and we are pleased to reveal the winning films of 2018 on Girls on Film. Also today we have an interview with the great Catherine Hahn, star of the film Private Life, directed by Tamara Jenkins. But first, Alfonso Cuarón's film Roma. Joining me in the studio is the critic Kate Stables, who is a monthly contributor to Sight and Sound and Total Film magazines. Kate, welcome. Thank you for having me. Now, our next guest is Steph Watts, who is representing the Bechdel Test Fest today. She's also a reviews editor for the film site OneRoomWithAView.com, and she works on the online teams for Film 4 and Channel 4's short film strand Random Acts. Hello, Steph. Hi. Thank you for coming. So Roma is an awards favourite from the director of Gravity, a black and white film set in 1970s Mexico City. It's based on the writer-director's childhood, but it's kind of one of those films that you might think it was going to be about the kids or the father, but it's actually more about Cleo, a live-in maid played by Yalitza Aparicio. It's also about her relationship with her employer, Sofia, who's the mother, and she's played by the acclaimed Mexican actress Marina de Tavira. Now, I had the chance to meet Marina when she came to London recently. I was really interested to chat to her about this central relationship that is the heart of the film. It's a complex relationship because it's like an employer-employee relationship. There's a money transaction, but there's also they live together and they really are involved in everyday life. And they share the most important thing in their lives. It's the kids. I mean, there's nothing more important to a mother than their kids. And that she wants them to love her. And because that's the way it's going to work. But it's also someone that comes from a completely different world. And they mix in a very complex way. I think that that's a process that Sophia finally understands. I mean, she's throwing at Cleo everything that's frustrating her, her, her pain. Mm -hmm. and, and then she, at the end she realizes that she is her real family and that she's the one that's going to really be there for her and that they are going to raise this family together. And in fact, they live together all their lives, these two women, the real, the real characters. They, they, they spend all their life together, even when their kids left. Oh, really? They still lived together. So I think it's a beautiful way of seeing a family and naming a family. So that was Marina de Tavira. Kate, what did you make of Roma? 
It absolutely blew me away. It's a film of extraordinary beauty and texture and impact, and which is odd because the film sort of moves like a ghost through Quaron's autobiography because it's about his own childhood, but you couldn't actually tell which child he was. Um, Quaron's made much big films with bigger settings, you know, gravity, it's in space, it couldn't be any bigger, and Children of Men, which is a very big theme. But this is a very big film about a small domestic way of life. It's a film that saturates you in the everyday because Cleo has actually a very small world. Her world is the house and then a little bit of Mexico City, which is beautifully put together with the aid of CGI so that you absolutely believe you're in the Mexico City of, of 1970. So it's focusing on a maid who would normally be a background character. Maids are very rarely central characters. But she has actually a quite complicated inner life. She has quite complicated but strong relationships with the family. Um, it's also about the family, about how the family dynamics shift, which is done absolutely beautifully. You see the central marriage coming apart. The father is um, not really in the home very much. And you see that Cleo becomes a kind of second mother and her relationship with the children is absolutely fascinating. Also, it's a year of change outside the gates, mammoth change. There's earthquakes and there's, you know, there's a student demonstration which becomes a, a, a riot and there's land grabs in the country. It's fabulous. That was an extraordinary scene, isn't it? There, there's a, they don't give you too much away where people haven't seen it, but there's a scene where they're shopping for something and in the background, outside in the street, this incredible commotion is going on and terrible riots and massacres. And it's it's that sense of ordinary life carrying on despite everything that's going on and internal dramas and personal dramas and world political dramas. It was absolutely fascinating. I agree with you. It's a tremendous piece of work. Um, Steph, what was your response to this? Yeah, I really loved it as well. Um, just kind of instantly wanted to watch it again and just you really sink into that kind of that world it's so natural and kind of as you say like focused on Cleo's like life around the home there's these lovely kind of repeated scenes where she's kind of sweeping up dog mess from the drive like all the time and there's this kind of huge car that the family has that they just spend ages trying to actually get into the garage and stuff like that um monotonous kind of scenes that build and then the story builds around those and around her life you really get the idea of who she is and her story coming through in that way, which I just thought was really, really well done. I agree. I mean, it, it does, even though it's dealing with big themes, it doesn't mm. sacrifice those little details, and mm. that's so important. When I was speaking to her, she was saying that they cast exactly the same breed of dog that Quaron had when he was growing up, you know, <laughs> although it wasn't a trained dog, so they had a few problems with it. But, you know, all those kind of things. And apparently, as well, she, um, a lot of the actual production design it comes from his own home when he was growing up, and he got loads of relatives to actually send all the original things in his house in so it really is about detail for him it's, it's fascinating it's fantastic detail in. so Kate this is in select cinemas but it's mainly a Netflix film do you think it matters whether you see it on the big screen or the small screen this is such an interesting question because I think it is actually as I said a big film about a small domestic area but you do benefit hugely I have to say from seeing it on a big screen I saw it you know in the screening room with Dolby Atmos which also makes a huge difference because the sound design is wonderfully complex so you get every you get a wonderful layer of planes dogs children people breaking windows um it's great I'm not quite 
sure how much people are going to get off a 40-inch screen or even off your laptop. I think it's a very interesting question, but I think that the film itself is so strong that actually you will still be sucked into it. Well, that's it. I, I met a guy earlier and he was saying, oh, I saw it on the small screen and I wish I'd seen it on the big screen, but I still cried at the end, you know. So yeah. he was still incredibly moved by it. But I think it is one. I mean, I certainly, the press screen I went to, it looked incredible on the big screen and it felt like it would be a bit of a shame to see it on the small screen but at least you've got the best of both worlds and choices Steph did you see it on the big or the small screen? I did I managed to see it on the big screen and that is something that I'm always conflicted about where I'm like I, it should be in the cinema it shouldn't just go to a small screen but then at the same time that accessibility that people have I mean it's screening in London but I don't know if it's screening anywhere else in the UK like maybe people who are really into cinema have to drive kind of two hours to go and see it but then you can log on to Netflix and it's on there and you can you can see it like that just knowing that you have that access to such a wonderful film I think is actually really amazing like for this time for streaming that was Roma Next up, another Netflix film. It's Private Life, a talky relationships dramedy about New York intellectuals. It was big in Sundance and that kind of film is very big with me. It's directed by Tamara Jenkins, who made the brilliant film The Savages in 2007. It stars Catherine Hahn and Paul Giamatti as a couple who are trying to have a baby almost every way apart from having actual sex. So they're trying IVF, adoption and surrogacy and it's having a bit of a strain on their relationship. I interviewed Tamara and Catherine in a London hotel recently. Before I went in, I had the most unusual experience of overhearing a couple having very loud sex in the room next door, um, which is one of those things that can happen in five-star hotels, I'm sure, but it was quite unusual. And they thought this was absolutely hilarious, so it got the interview off to a great start. Let's have a listen. Your best chance for success is with the donor egg. He's out of his mind. There's a lot of positives. Oh, it's easy for you to say. You'll have your genetic contribution. And me, I'm just left out. Hi. Do you know the great thing about doing this in hotels? I've just heard someone have a like, really loud sex. No way. Stop <laughs> it. Really? really? What time Whoa. is it? Did you record well, you know, it? a hotel. Who has sex oh, yeah, anymore? Yeah. That's yeah. so cute. Did you knock on the door and say, good for you? Yeah. <laughs> Um, congratulations on the film. Thank, Thank you. Um, both your work independently. It's wonderful to see you come together. I know, we feel lucky. I know, totally. <laughs> you obviously got on very well making this project. We did. We did. This I know, and now we're having like fun. the aftermath of like, we're like smoking cigarettes now. We're having our own post-coital, our post-coital love affair. It's been like a little show on the road. Yeah, it's been, been so fun. So to me, it seems like the perfect film for you, Catherine. Was that what you felt when you read the script? Oh, yeah. I mean, I wanted to do this kind of writing justice. I just knew that it was going to be a deep, deep, deep dive. It didn't feel like an old school like courtship. Like I flew myself to New York to, to meet Tamara. She met me before we were, mm-hmm. we didn't know, we didn't know what we were doing. She came after them. I came out. after it hard. Basically, we wanted her to, we wanted her for the movie, but we weren't allowed to go to her first. My people were like, yeah. okay, here's the script. Yeah. Uh, don't get your heart broken. So I was like, well, what if I put myself on her, her face? And they were like, I, there's, uh, okay, but I mean, there's only so much that anyone, but okay. So I flew myself, we head to New York. You know, we split a bottle of rosé in the some, middle of the day. In the middle of the day, and some cheese and I like meat. Your and, I, and, we were, and we did, and we really didn't talk about the movie. I mean, maybe like a second. 
It was like a weird date. And is that intensified by the fact that this is such a personal script for you, Tamara? Well, that was intensified for lots of industry yes. issues. Yes. I really liked her. Mm. Jeannie McCarthy, who's the casting director on the movie, she, Catherine was the first person she mentioned, and I didn't know Catherine's body of work. And she said, the perfect person for this part is Catherine Hahn. And She's I was correct. like, wait a minute, is that, wait, wait, what? Uh, and then I went and I watched everything Catherine ever did that I could get my hands on. And then I, I said, you know, you're, you're, you're right. She's the perfect person. And there's like a cult of Catherine Hahn. People, you'll say, uh, it's all 12 of them. No, I'm telling you, you say, oh, and Catherine Hahn, like, oh my God, I love her. No, literally, so many people said that to me. Right? Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> no, really. And it's sort of like having an album that not everybody knows, but you know it's the best album. <gasps> and you're like, this band is the best. Oh and my God. everybody likes the fact that it's not the most well known band because <gasps> it's the coolest band. That's how people feel about oh you. Oh my God, that's, a, that's very amazing. We need to take some responsibility for the situation. A lot of women have babies at 41. I thought I could too. You ready? One, two, three. You were listening to Catherine Hahn and Tamara Jenkins, star and director of Private Life. So, Steph, are you one of those people that really, really loves Catherine Hahn? Um... I do. I really love her. I haven't really seen her in that much, to be honest. Um, obviously, she's one of my favourite characters in Parks and Recreation. Just love her every time she comes on screen. But then I hadn't really seen that many of her movies. And then watching her in this, she's just just fantastic. I think I'm just going to turn into like a huge fan of her now. You're an addict. Yeah. You've, you've been part of the cult of Catherine <laughs> Hahn. I, yeah, I think so. I mean, she's absolutely tremendous in mm. everything she does, TV and, and film. I really like seeing her, as we saw in Afternoon Delight, um, take centre stage in a film because so often she was started off on those kind of slightly laddish comedies on TV and she was always kind of stealing the show. But so great to see her do something with a bit more meat. Mm. Kate, what do you think? I'm a great fan of Catherine Hahn. In fact, I think lots of people are great fans because she's done a lot of great television work recently, like Transparent and I Love Dick, the marvellously titled. I'm actually um, Team Jamati for this film because I think that the role that he plays here, which is of the husband in the couple who were trying to have a baby, is really beautifully, beautifully done. And I think that Catherine Hahn gets the slightly showier stuff. The film shows what the drugs do to you. The roller coaster of uh, hope and despair does when you're trying to have a child by any means necessary. I think he has a slightly tougher job and he does it absolutely fantastically so he is very good at that sort of hang dog thing isn't he I mean it's hard, actually hard to imagine someone doing this better than him and he's just so perfect but he's also got a real heart and tenderness to him which I think really works for the film Steph what was the highlight of the film for you is there any particular scenes that really stood out I really liked actually I was just thinking about the scene I think when they first have that conversation about potentially having a, a donor egg and they're kind of walking out on the street Catherine Hahn's character is just breaking down like trying to get um, her husband to understand how she feels about it and they've just had this kind of miscommunication that's only just coming to light. Look, if we do another IVF with your eggs we've got what a 4% chance of getting pregnant? With a donor egg we'd be going from 4 to like 65%. So I mean the gambler in me just wants to put my money on the better odds. Oh my god. You're Guy Woodhouse. What? The husband in Rosemary's Baby, John Cassavetes, that's you. Yeah, right, that, that's me, standing by while you're raped by a satanic demon. 
I am just suggesting that we listen to our doctor and look into all the options. We're already signed up for adoption. What is the big deal? Uh, well, for one, I'm not putting someone else's body parts into my uterus. I think there's a few kind of really nice long takes where they just kind of let the performances do the work and you're just seeing this kind of relationship that's kind of slowly becoming more and more of a mess as things pop up that they need to have this conversation about. Um, that was a really standout scene for me, I think. I, I would agree with you. She does give her characters room to breathe. And that's why I sort of say I love these, what I sort of blithely call talky relationships comedies. So I was very impressed with uh, Kaylee Carter, who plays a very pivotal character called Sadie. She's a very feisty stepniece who comes into their lives. What did you think of her? I liked the actor. I thought the character was really... Um, I think she's supposed to be 25, but she feels like so young for her age. She kind of comes into the their life just being like, you still live in a rent-controlled apartment and you're fine and like just kind of insulting them without really meaning to uh, when they're going through this really tough stage in their life. It kind of changes the dynamic as the film goes on because she just kind of barrels in, kind of rubbed me up the wrong way a little bit, but I feel like she would in real life. That's <laughs> interesting. Yeah, it's ripe for comedy. But um, I think because I'm closer to Catherine Hahn's age, I was, and you're a very young person, I was having more of a different response than just seeing how it would have affected their lives and how they would have seen her as a breath of fresh air and very exciting and the youth that they left behind and all those <laughs> kind of things, as well as being annoying and kind of getting mm. a few things wrong, um, but also representing potentially great hope for them. So there's mm. a lot going on with that. I thought she it made a great contrast actually because she as you say she has all the kind of um, millennial assumptions and the way that she talks to them and uh, the way that that rubs up against the way that they think that they're very hip and arty and bohemian and she calls them my art mama my art dad in actual fact she has a little bit of a crush on them they have a little bit of a crush on her and actually the film kind of works that out for them I think one of my favourite scenes actually is when they've got a social worker or an adoption person, I think it is, coming round and they're trying to work out whether to take a slightly rude painting off the wall. That's exactly the kind of conversations I've had in my life. So maybe I am those art people. Kate, who would you recommend this film to? I would recommend this film to absolutely everybody, honestly. And what I'm really hoping, because Jenkins doesn't get to make films that often, is that lots of people will see it on Netflix, will not be put off by the fact that they think that it's an issue drama or a problem drama and will discover her brand of compassionate comedy which I, I think is is wonderful so it's to everybody for me. I just hope she makes more films because these are the kind of films that we need to see. I mean it's such a long time in between films she has been working doing other stuff she hasn't been sitting around but um, you know I just hope more women get the opportunity to make films and I do feel touch wood that that's happening a little bit more at the moment that you know more Hollywood films are greenlit with female directors so that's exciting stuff. So that was Private Life. Finally, it's time for the big reveal, the films of 2018 as voted for by women. As we all know, the majority of film critics are male and great as they are, it's nice to hear a different opinion. So we were intrigued to see what would happen when we asked entirely female or female identifying writers to contribute to this poll. The poll comes from our friends at the Bechdel Test Fest, the ongoing celebration of positive representation for women in film. Steph, you've been working on the poll. Who's been taking part? So, yeah, we really wanted to hear from female critics and commentators, really kind of tune into women's voices in film and just kind of turn those voices up, really. We were asking anybody who is like a paid critic or anybody who is a commentator on film, so anybody who's into film and has a platform, whether it's paid or not, to really just share their voice because... I mean, it's hard enough anyway to 
get paid full time to write about film let alone kind of get your voice out there and heard we got uh, about 65 responses from a wide range of places from not just the UK all other countries we got responses from Women Over 50 Film Festival. We got responses from ethnic minority women and trans women as well. Like a really big spread of people, which we were really pleased with. I'm excited to hear what's going on here. There are 20 films listed in the release. But Steph, could you exclusively reveal the top 10 in reverse order? I can. At number 10, we have Shoplifters by Hirokazu Koreeda. Great. At number nine, we have Black Klansman by Spike Lee. Great stuff. Yeah. Glad to hear that one. At number eight, it was The Miseducation of Cameron Post by Desiree Akavan. Hooray! Yeah. One of my favourites. <laughs> Please, that one did well. Uh, at seven, we have Lady Bird by Greta Gerwig. Oh, good. Uh, at six, A Star is Born by Bradley Cooper. Ah, the popular ones got in there. Yeah. We'll get into the... <laughs> at number five, we have Black Panther by Ryan Coogler. Fantastic. Mm. At number four, Roma by Alfonso Cuaron. Aha, good. Mm. At number three, Phantom Thread by Paul Thomas Anderson. Hmm, that one surprises me, but we'll come back to that. Uh, At number two, Widows by Stephen Queen. Love it, love it. Excellent. And then at number one, You Were Never Really Here by Lynn Ramsey. Lynn Ramsey, and you're wearing a Lynn Ramsey t-shirt today, listeners, just to let you know. So that's like, even like you knew what you were going to tell us. Um, Well, that's a very interesting list and Mm. great to see uh, Roma, which we all love, in there. Mm. So we've got three female directors there in the top ten. Lynn Ramsey, of course, Greta Gerwig and Desiree Akavam. And uh, I'm kind of interested that all the films in the top 10 are either about women uh, or they're about marginalised groups, like you've got Black Klansman and Cameron Post in there. Kate, what did you think of this list? Any surprises for you? Some surprises. I think Phantom Thread, which made you go, ooh, is is a very interesting choice because it's a very divisive film, even amongst critics. And it's also now, for those of us who see films two or three um, months in advance, it's quite a long way away, Phantom Thread. But Phantom Thread is like at the end of Carrie, when Carrie's hand, this isn't a spoiler because everyone's seen it, comes up through the ground. Phantom Thread is the film that refuses to die in critics' polls. But otherwise, no, it's a great mix of kind of art house stars, the big movies coming through like Roma I think the fact that A Star is Born is in there is very interesting it's an Oscar front runner you don't often find them in critics polls unless they are art house Oscar front runners like Roma I think that it is a film that lots of people have strong feelings about and I think it's very interesting that that it's there I also really like that there's girl love for widows because Widows has actually suffered from a a bit of a lack of attention. It's a bit of a problem child. So happy to see that. My husband left me the plans for his next job. All I need is a crew to pull it off. Why should we trust you anyway? Because I'm the only one standing between you and a bullet in your head. Steph, how are you feeling about the results? Are they what you expected? Do you think they are inherently more female somehow? Well, I think it's interesting because, as you're saying, like a lot of them have female leads or a strong female presence um i'm really happy with how it turned out there's such a good range yeah range of stars range of genres you've got like a marvel film in there with black panther which i mean whoever was saying that girls don't like watching superhero movies i think it's such a good range and such a good indication of yeah just because you're a female critic you you don't have to like these certain films you can like anything and have an opinion on any of the kind of 
big movies that are coming out this year. It's interesting to look at um, through the ideas that we have been discussing already, the girls on film is like, in some cases, do women and men review films differently? I think generally they don't. I mean, there are a couple of genres where particularly perhaps female-focused comedy and those featuring women of colour, which women tend to review more positively than men. And I know some critics that had a theory that actually Phantom Thread had a gender divide and that men liked it and women didn't. And initially, that seemed to hold true with the the critics I was speaking to and reading. And myself, even though I could see that it was a wonderful quality film, I liked many aspects of it, the relationship I didn't buy. And I think that was a big problem for me. And I didn't really like the, the central female character. But these results would contradict that, which is very interesting. You can sew almost anything into the canvas of a coat. When I was a boy, I started to hide things in the linings of the garments. Things that only I knew were there. Secrets. Good morning. Will you have dinner with me? Yes. Kate, you have been looking at some of the other surveys that people have been making. What are the big differences, or similarities indeed, that you've noticed? There's actually quite a lot of similarities. I I looked at a couple of other end-of-year polls for compare and contrast, and I chose two magazines that I write for, but also because they represent different ends. One of them is Sight and Sound, which is a magazine about international film, and the other one is Total Film, which is um, more mainstream. And in fact, looking at the Sight and Sound poll... So they've got the favourite is equal number seven with You Were Never Really Here. They've got Leave No Trace. Again, strong female presences in the top ten. And then slightly more the usual suspects in terms of Art House. First Reformed at five. Cold War at number four. Burning by Lee Chang Dong, which is a Korean film, at number three. Phantom Thread at number two. And Roma at number one. Um, It's unusual for a movie that has quite so much Oscar kind of hype around it for to be number one at Sight and Sound. But movie total film, really more mainstream, but fascinatingly, Lady Bird's number six. So again, it's obviously, it's a film with traction. Roma number five, Mission Impossible Fallout at number four, which I think was a lot of people's most loved film, if not their best, most enjoyed. Phantom Thread at number three, Hereditary at number two, and Avengers Infinity War at number one. So more of a kind of multiplex slant on and that. That's very interesting because I've noticed in other polls like Time Out, for example, the, the first, the top three and Time Out are actually identical to our top three here, which is very oh. interesting. And they do, they have made the effort to have quite a few female critics, including myself. Um, but they also featured Hereditary. There seem to be more horrors and action films in other top tens and you know does that mean that the old cliche that women are not as keen on horror and action films is true or does it just mean that we are seeking out things that resonate with us more and those films aren't doing us much of a favor well i actually think this year has been really good for horror that people are reviewing as kind of genuinely good cinema you had kind of when Suspiria came out people ruling it as this kind of like high art cinema hereditary massively popular and then I would say even like something like Annihilation Alex Garland's film has kind of horror elements to it I feel like yeah it's been like quite a good year for those 
very well reviewed in a lot of places horrors yeah because hereditary had a really strong female yeah and um bird box as yeah. well yeah but then there may be not kind of all-out slasher movies that you're kind of going to go to the cinema with a huge popcorn for like a a great time. Um, so the big question, of course, Steph, is how many of these films in the top 10 actually passed the Bechdel test? Um, so, yeah, eight out of the top 10 films passed the Bechdel test. So the Bechdel test is the film has to have two women who have names and in the film they have to have a conversation about something other than a man. And if that happens, then the film passes the Bechdel test. So which two in the top 10 did not pass? So A Star is Born... Yes, we discussed that. Yes, um, and the other one, and the other one is actually the number one. You were never really, of here. course, yeah, um, which is interesting. I mean, it is all about kind of male fragility and trauma, and it's only got one kind of main character in it. So played by Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, in case people haven't seen it. Yeah, yeah. Um, it is actually a, weird, a weirdly masculine film, isn't mm. it? But directed by a woman. But she's brought her very interesting female point of view to it. Yeah. I think. State Senator Albert Vato. His teenage daughter's missing. What's the lead? He got an anonymous text with an address. I've heard of these places. They said you were brutal. I can be. I want you to hurt them. I think one of the most interesting things about it and the reason why it's resonated so strongly is that the idea of the male rescuer is completely reimagined in Mm. You Were Never Really Here. He's not a taken kind of guy. Mm. He doesn't come and sort everything out. He is as fractured and broken as the person he's setting out to rescue. And I think that's what makes it so interesting to women as a, as a film. That I have to ask Steph. I do not remember any conversations in Phantom Thread. So the girlfriend mm-hmm. and the sister both have rather unhealthy interest in um, the designer. I cannot remember any conversations that weren't about him. I'm pretty sure they have some sort of conversation where she says, can I have some toast? And then... <laughs> She says yes. I'm, I'm, I'm sure <laughs> it's something. Passes. It literally has to just be, yeah, like two lines. I think, um, yeah. Or she's telling her off for something, trying to get rid of her, get her out yeah. of the room. But it's all basically connected with him, isn't mm. it? And we've covered on, on um, Girls on Film before, A Star is Born. doesn't really pass. Again, it's a sort of a technical thing. If you've seen all of the Star is Borns, there's a Janet Gaynor one and a Judy Garland one and a Barbara Streisand one, which I love. I was fascinated by how much it's about the male character Mm. this time. If you look at the previous versions, there's a a bit less of the male character. So that probably has something to do with the fact that he wrote, directed, played all the instruments and everything else. Might just, wouldn't it? Yeah, that is why it's not in my personal top ten, I have to say. (laughs) But uh, my film of the year is Deborah Granick's Leave No Trace, which comes in at number 11. Uh, What were both your films of the year and why? Oh, my film of the year is Roma, because despite the fact that I see, you know, a lot of films every week, it absolutely knocked me out. It was completely immersive. It was big yet intimate. It had everything. And Steph? Um, I think mine was actually You Were Never Really Here. I love Lynn Ramsey's work. I just love um, it. It's such a short run time and it just packs so much in there. 
it's a total kind of atmospheric experience and you're just sucked into it for the whole time you could you could so easily go back and watch it again once you've like had a bit of a breather but um yeah just love it great well congrats to Lynn Ramsey for winning that poll and thanks very much to Bechdel Test Fest and thank you very much Kate Stables and Steph Watts for joining me today and a special thank you to our valiant girls on film producers Hedda Archibald and Jane Long from HLA Productions Next year, we will be taking Girls on Film on the road with live shows from the Rotterdam Film Festival and Home in Manchester. So stay tuned and here's to more female-focused films to celebrate in 2019. From me, Anna Smith, and all the Girls on Film team, Happy New Year. Because no one thinks we have the balls to pull this off.